Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, grab a Bible. Go to Romans chapter 10. Uh, You'll find the book of Romans in the New Testament. If you need a Bible, you'll find one under a seat somewhere around you. And if you don't own a Bible, leave with that. We would love for you to have it. Romans chapter 10. We are on the other side of the halfway point in this series we're calling Vitals. And uh, basically, the premise of this series is you go to the doctor, and there's some things that the doctor is going to do every time you walk into the office uh, to blood pressure, you know, heart rate, on and on. We're used to kind of the drill when you go into the doctor's office. These are vital signs. They indicate to a doctor where are we at kind of with our physical health. And in this series, we said, what if there's some spiritual vital signs that we could look at to just kind of get a gauge of where is our walk with Jesus at and what does a healthy walk with Jesus look like. And now, uh, we, this certainly isn't an exhaustive list of vital signs. We could go on and on week after week after week. And we also said this isn't some like legalistic checklist. We're not trying to put measurements to each of these and say, as long as you're here, then you're good. We're just saying, in general, a heart that has been captivated by Christ, um, these things typically flow out of them. Uh, today, we're talking about a, vi- a vital sign. We we'll call it gospel witness telling other people about Jesus. Uh, One of the pillars of our church is what we call unafraid witness, that we will be a people who will uh, be unafraid and unashamed to say the name, to tell people about this best news message that uh, a Savior has come to the world to save us from our sins. And as we come to Romans chapter 10, Paul, the writer of this letter, lays out an unbelievably awesome yet simple logical flow of why is it so crucial that we are people who proclaim the gospel, or to use the word that is used in the passage here, who preach the gospel. And we're going to get there. You're like, I'm not a preacher. That's your thing. No, it's your thing. And I'm going to show us why that's true. But um, Paul lays out this awesome logical flow of why in the world is it so crucial that we are people who proclaim um, the gospel? Now, let me say this. Um, None of us here need the message on like, hey, you need to share Jesus more. We all kind of gather, you're like, yeah, I know. What we might need today is just the reminder of a deep loving burden for lost people. Why? We share Jesus and how we go about that. Uh, But before we get into all of that, um, we need to settle something in our own heart first. And so my hope is that as we uh, unpack verse 13 here, we're going to send, like every heart in this room is going to settle something in their own heart once and for all. And then after that, as we go to verse 14, we're going to talk about the implication of of what that means uh, as we become people who share this good news message of Jesus with other people. And so you got a packed note sheet. Don't worry. It's going to go quick. Promise. Okay. Let's pray and ask for God's help and let's get into it. Father God, make us proclaimers of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 10. Paul, as he gets to this, I think Romans 9, 10, and 11 is one of the most like... um, It can be hard to understand. And like, so we're jumping into like, a complicated portion of the letter here. But Paul has come to a point in the letter where he's talking about his burden for his ethnic people, Israel. He's like, I'm burdened for Israel. Like this Savior has come and my own people can't even see it. And look at like uh, Romans 10 verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God for them, who Israel, ethnic Israel, is that they may be what? 
I want them to be saved. I want my own people to see the Savior Jesus who has come, this long-awaited for Messiah they've been looking for. I want them to see him, and I want them to savor him, and I want them to be saved. And so Paul begins to unpack this burden he has that Israel would see Jesus for the Savior, for the Messiah that he is, and that they would be saved. And now I want to pick it up kind of mid-thought, mid-stream here, verse 9. Jump in there with me. And I know we're picking it up in an awkward place, but hang with me. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? For with the heart one believes and is justified or declared righteous. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Then this famous, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, no doubt maybe you've heard this through your years of church or through your years of studying the Bible, Romans 10, 13, this famous verse, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right there, I hope you can see where I got it. First point on your bulletin is this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone see where I got that, right? Okay. People always tell me like, all you do is just say the Bible back to us. Yes. Preaching. That's what preaching is, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let's unpack this verse in its three parts. And I want to start at the end of the verse and I want to work our way back to the beginning of the verse. This three parts. What in the world does it mean that they will be saved? What, does it, what in the world does it mean that people need to be saved? As you talk to non-Christians, and maybe, in you, maybe some of you are gathered here today, and you're asking this very question, saved, saved from what? What do I need to be saved from? Short answer, we, every human being on the planet, needs to be saved from their sin. Every single one. Like the Bible teaches, there is not one righteous, no, not one. The most, like the most moral, goody, two-shoes person you know has sinned and offended a completely holy and perfect God. It's just true. Like think about the best person you know. They have sinned against a holy God. And we need to be saved from that sin because in the beginning, don't ever forget about the beginning. Don't ever forget about how God created this relationship with him to work. He makes man and he makes woman, and he created the relationship for peace and for harmony, for unity, for unhindered worship. And then sin sets in. The very first humans, like every human since then, rebelled against God, and we all have become rebels And this thing called sin, doing the things God says not to do, not doing the things God says to do, we have sinned against this holy God. And every single person has sinned. Now, we need to be saved from our sin because our sin has immediate consequences and it has eternal consequences. Immediately, uh, sin makes it so we can't live out our ultimate purpose, which is to bring God glory. We need to be redeemed. We need to be bought back from that sin. And then eternally speaking, sin has grave consequences eternally. None of us have earned a right to um, be back united in relationship with Jesus Christ. We have not earned that. What we deserve is 
to be eternally separated from a holy, perfect, loving, just God, eternally separated, not because of anything he's done, but because of what we've done to sin against him. And that eternal separation is called hell. And this is the eternal reality of the weight of sin. And now I fully recognize, like you might be so used to this story if you've grown up in church, never grow old with it. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved from their sin. A loving God has looked down and he has lavished his love on us. He has seen us in our hopelessness. He has looked down and he said, there is absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. I will come save you. God coming in the flesh. Like he didn't farm it out. He didn't subcontract it. He said, I will come and I will pay your sin penalty. And so that moves us back to this middle part of the verse. Who who can be saved? Uh, Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let's talk about what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord. This idea of calling on the name of the Lord, calling on Jesus comes from um, this idea that belief, and we're going to see that in the progression Paul's about to lay out, belief has so gripped our heart, belief in Jesus, that there's nothing I can do to save myself. I must, in faith, completely trust in Christ. Calling on the Lord is the heart cry of someone, I always try to think of this picture, who sees that they are hopelessly at the bottom of the depths of a well called sin, And that there's nothing they can do to scale the walls of that well themselves. If you were caught at the bottom of the well and there's nothing you can do to climb out of it, what would you do? Call out. Cry out. Help. This is the desperate heart cry of one caught at the bottom of an unscalable well called sin. Now, um, calling on the name of the Lord is the realization of a heart that gets, there is nothing else that can save me. There is nothing plus Jesus that can save me. What I mean plus Jesus. Jesus doesn't come and just give us a boost from the bottom of the well and then we climb the rest of the way out. Come on, that was a great place for an amen. Jesus doesn't boost us and then we like figure out how to be good and climb our way out. Jesus doesn't help us become a little better and then kicks in like us being better good people in order to be saved. We are hopeless, y'all. And what we do is we stand at the bottom of our miry pit and we say, Lord Jesus, I am hopeless. You are capital H, hope. Save me. Save me from the depths and the penalty of my sin. But it's not Jesus plus, then I'll try to be really, really good. You don't have to be good because he's already been good on your behalf. It's not Jesus plus, I'll get, you know, I'll get my works going and my works plus Jesus. You don't have plus works because his finished work is already credited to you on your behalf the moment you believe in him. This is gospel. This is good news. Anything else that tries to teach you, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus plus, you know, a little bit this and sprinkle in a little of that, that is an anti-false gospel. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It is Jesus, faith in Jesus from the miry pit of the depths of the well of sin, crying out, Jesus, 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 save me. 
And whoever calls on his name will be saved. In complete faith. Now let's get to the everyone. This is really complicated. Like the Greek here, like as we, everyone means everyone. Now I don't mean that in some universal salvation sense that everyone's going to be saved. What that means is everyone, here's the condition, who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. But come on now. Sometimes I think in our human mind, we can start to see religions and then like, oh, that's an Eastern religion or, okay, that's a Western religion. That's a religion for those people. Jesus is the savior of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. The very first time I ever went to Africa, I'm standing there as a 19-year-old and like, I knew this, like I always doctrinally knew it, but like when we, when we started singing a worship song like this, Praise God from whom all blessings. And then the Africans started singing. And I mean, they're just like grooving, like in singing, and they're in perfect harmony. And it's amazing. And you're like, we'll stop singing. You just keep singing. It hit me. We're singing to the same God. Every tribe and every tongue and every language. He's the savior of them all. Everyone means everyone. It means the most vile sinner. If you think you walked in here the most vile person that ever darkened the doors of church, everyone means everyone. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you think you're the most goody two-shoes Man, I am the epitome of what moral uprightness looks like. Bro, you need to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. I always go back, love what Tim Keller, former pastor out of New York City, uh, said, he said in a baptism here a couple weeks ago, it was brilliant. Uh, some of us rebel against God by being extremely bad. Others of us rebel against God by trying to be extremely good. Both are rebellion, both are rooted in pride. Call on the name of Jesus to be saved. He is the hope. Now, before we go on to verse 14, settle that in your own heart this morning. Have you called on the name of the Lord? No, 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 not like, yeah, 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 that's why I'm at church. It is not Jesus plus church attendance. Well, then why are we here? Because we love him. Because the love that he's lavished on us and we want to know him more and we want to gather and worship him. But like, there isn't the attendance gold star chart in heaven. Ah, Brock's teetering. He better hit three in a row here. I don't know. <laughs> Have you called on the name of Jesus? Is your complete trust, like when if you stood before him tonight and the question was presented like, why? Why are you would just say, Christ, I have nothing else to cling to. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I have you called on the name of the Lord. Because we're, gonna, we're now going to move in verse 14 and on to, okay, like, having a vibrant heart captivated by Jesus walk with him will mean like we can't not tell other people about him. But like 
you will have no motivation to tell other people about him unless you know him. I'm not saying no things about him. You can know a lot about him. We live in a culture, where, in a country, where you can know a lot about him. Do you know him? Is the power of his spirit alive and active in your heart? Have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? Because this is what God says. This is what God tells us. Saves. The heart cry of faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Now, it's true for our hearts and it's true for every, think about this, it's true for every single heart on the globe right now. And that is why it's crucial that God's people's hearts are burdened and on fire to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul now gets into this beautifully simple, logical flow of like, Okay, why is it so crucial that if we know Jesus, we're talking about Jesus? Verse 14. How then, so he's just said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So let's break it down. Let's chop it up in its parts here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Next point. No one can call unless they believe. So right there, how verse 14 starts. How, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Uh, belief takes root in the heart. Belief gripping the heart leads to a call, a cry with the mouth saying, Lord Jesus, I need you. I see I've separated myself from you because of my sin. I see I'm hopeless. I cannot scale the walls of this well of sin on my own. I need a rescuer. I need someone to reach down and pick me up out of this sin. And, and I see, Lord, that it's you. I believe. I have faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to save me. That belief takes root in the heart that leads to a crying out, Jesus is Lord. He is Savior. He is Rescuer. He is Redeemer. How can they call and be saved until belief takes root in their heart? And now that leads to a really next important part. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, no one can call unless they believe. No one can believe unless they hear. So I know, like, our, like in our day and age, we love this quote that's been attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. We don't even know if he really said it. But um, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. And we hear that and we're like, oh, deep. It's just, like you can't preach the gospel without using words. The gospel is a message. Like, I get that. We'll get there. Like, I'm not saying, like, the way you live doesn't matter at all. And, like, yeah, preach the gospel and go live so anti-gospel. No, no, no. I get the heart of what is being communicated there. Um, but how can one believe in whom they've never, how's that end? Who they've never heard. People must hear about Jesus and what Jesus has done and how what Jesus has done, James, applies to you, like to your heart.
Like, my neighbor can know general things about Jesus because he's grown up in Midwestern America, but does my neighbor know how Jesus applies to his heart and his desperate need for Jesus, and how will he ever know that unless he hears it? We must be proclaimers of the gospel. We can't just assume that people hear it because they live in America. I'm telling you, people hear about Jesus. But if they're getting their news about what Jesus, who Jesus is from um, the well-timed like Time magazines, you know, at Easter time, and not out of the mouths of people who know Jesus deeply in the depths of their heart, I don't know why God in his wisdom has left the proclaiming of the gospel to his people. I think it's a beautiful plan, but he has. And how can people believe until they have heard? Now, here we go. Are we ready for this part? Ready or not, here we go. And how are they to hear without someone, what's the word? Come on now going to make y'all preachers before the end of the day. You're like, ah, no, no, we don't want to preach at people. Oh, yeah, we do. No, I just said that. No, come on, we don't want to preach at people. No, yeah, we do. Um, let me give you the point, and then we'll talk why. No one can hear unless someone preaches to them. And I left preaching, I left the word in there intentionally, because it's the word that Scripture uses. I think... Why we like, why I, often I talk to Christians, you're like, man, I, I don't want to like be preachy with them. I'm like, what do you mean by that, huh? <laughs> like, we don't want to preach to people. Now, I think what, why we say that is because we're so used to this idea of preaching being a style of communication. So I'm not saying invite your buddy who doesn't know Jesus to Starbucks and then come in with the pulpit. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 10. That'd be weird. Don't do it. What does preaching mean? By very definition, this, this word preaching that is used here in Scripture, it just means this, to announce, to make known. Here it is. I love this one. To proclaim aloud. Preaching in Scripture always carries with it the idea of being a herald. So you want to know why I want to make everyone in this room a preacher before the end of the service? Because I want you all to experience the joy of being the herald to the king. Now think about that. Scripture gives our Savior the title, the King of Kings. And then he looks down at us as his people and he says, go be my heralds. You know what a, you know what a herald to a king does? All he does is get, receive the message that the king has given him to speak and then he goes and tells people the exact message the king has given him. And the message we carry is the world is hopeless in their sin, and we have the answer, and the answer has a name, and his name is Jesus. We get to preach that. We get to proclaim that aloud. We get to the privilege to live as heralds of that message to the king of kings. And now let's get personal with it. How will that neighbor who you love ever know about Jesus unless you herald the message of Jesus to them? 
How will your dad, who you love, ever know about the hope of Jesus unless you herald the message of Jesus to him? How will the son or the daughter that you love ever know the gospel unless you herald the gospel to them? Oh, that we would feel the holy urgency that we are partakers of the gospel and proclaimers of the gospel. Not the urgency of we got to save their soul. Ain't none of us going to do that. That's God's work. The urgency of God and his wisdom has left it to his people to be proclaimers, mouthpieces of the good news message. Oh God, give us that holy urgency. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No one can call unless they believe. No one can believe unless they hear. No one can hear unless someone preaches. No one can preach unless God sends them. And the heart cry of our church has been that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're sent by Jesus Christ. That the Great Commission, as we say it around here all the time, brings us back to our early roller skating days, right? The Great Commission's an all-skate. It's not for the really mature Christians. It's not for a certain segment of Christians. Taking the gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations is an all-skate. You are sent by Christ. Be christened and commissioned. Let's go. I'm telling us, some of us are so bored in our faith because we have never experienced the joy of a neighbor sitting at your dining room table and watching the Holy Spirit literally reach in and grab their heart with his love. You see that? There's something in your own heart that ignites and says, more of that. You're sent. Start in your neighborhood. Start with your friend groups. Start in your own family. Start in the spheres God has you, your workplace. Be faithful there. And then God may go, okay, uh, new neighborhood, new workplace, new uh, group of friends, new city, new nation. And we'll carry the gospel wherever Christ says to go. Amen. And then he says this beautiful thing, and he quotes it as it is written, verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Feet are ugly, y'all. The feet are beautiful because of the message the feet are carrying. So, and so, I want to make sure we don't, like, I listen, none of us who came to church today needed the, you need to tell more people about Jesus sermon, right? R- right? I, th- I thought I was tracking right with that. And so, I want to make sure, like, God uses us to ignite our hearts. There's some application we're walking in. And so God has called us to preach the gospel so that people will hear and believe and call and be saved. 
God has called us to preach the gospel. Remember, don't let the style of communication throw you off there. To proclaim aloud, to announce, to be a herald. God's called all of us in this room who know Jesus Christ to preach that good news message so people can hear it. And so God will do the work of letting them hear that good news and he'll apply it to their heart and they will believe. And out of their belief, they will call. And out of that call, Jesus Christ will come save and be faithful to his word. Amen? We are an army of Christ followers who get to carry this message. Let's let it change something about how we live this week. Deal? So let's debunk some witnessing myths, okay? Let's debunk some witnessing myths here. Um, I think sometimes we um, shrink away from witnessing about Jesus because of some myths we have in our head that might not always be true. So first myth we're going to debunk, this will be confrontational. Well, like, man, this will be so confrontational. Like, I know what they believe and I know where they stand. Now, all of us in the room can think of like the one or two people in our life who do just want to argue about things like this, right? And these are the people that immediately like jump into our head. No, like, you don't know my dad. You don't know my son. Like, he will just want to argue about this. Be faithful to proclaim it and don't argue back. Remember, I've told you all a freshman year in college, sharing Christ with a friend of mine, and it almost ended up in a fist fight, having to be restrained by one of our offensive linemen. Not the model of gospel witness, okay? If they get confrontational, don't get confrontational back. But before we even get there, I want you to know, in most gospel conversations I've had in my life, it has been the farthest thing from confrontational. You know what I often find? Uh, sitting across from a guy when the office was Starbucks before we had an office as a church and um, um, loved this guy. He was always in Starbucks every day. I always was. He had grown up in Japan. Um, Easter was coming around and he said, Easter, what, what is it? And like, here we are. We're to, like from Easter to the gospel message. He was not confrontational whatsoever about it. It was beautiful. I've told you all that story before. I got to the end. I said, do you want to know Christ today? No. (laughs) That's not my job, right? Trust the Lord with that and trust the Lord with the seed planted. Don't go into something thinking. It's often not as confrontational as we think. Second, uh, they will be so uncomfortable. Like, oh, like, I'm not going to go there. They'll be so uncomfortable when I... Some people might, some people might a little bit, but like, again, I find overwhelmingly people are genuinely interested in it. They want to know, like, what do Christians believe? It's not as uncomfortable as you think. Oh, we're leaving leaving Hobby Lobby uh, the other night because real Christians shop at Hobby Lobby um, (laughs) and eat at Chick-fil-A and go to Costco. Um, Um, didn't clear this story by you, so I'll clear it at lunch. Um, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're going to the van, we have the whole clan of kids, and, um, and I don't know if you guys know this, you probably don't know this, twin moms have a thing, you know, like Jeep people wave at each other, motorcycle people do the two-finger wave salute, I never get that, by the way, I always do it out my window, right, like, um, um, Purdue fans have boiler up. <laughs> Twin moms have a thing. Like all of a sudden, 
you twin mom? And all like conversation begins to happen. And like whoever's up farther ahead in the twin mom game, like what, what pillow do you have? Like, how do you do this? Like, and it's just immediate. There's a whole sorority of twin mom things. So we're getting in the van and this lady right next to us, she had just brought her twins home and she's like, twins? And Erica's like, you too? And like immediately they began just, and I'm just in the back, like trying to get in the car. I'm just like, no, just, you don't. But anyway, like uh, my awesome wife, like all of a sudden, like there she is, like saying the name. Like, hey, you have, like, you have to lean on the Lord. And like, all of a sudden, like, she's taking the twin mom sorority thing and she's talking about the Lord in the midst of the conversation. And back to this point, I'm saying, it wasn't uncomfortable. Like, the other twin mom didn't like, oh my goodness, get, get in the car, we're out of here. Like, it wasn't uncomfortable. It was beautiful and it was natural. And I'm like, yeah, girl, <laughs> Preach. It was, it was sweet. And so don't go into these conversations thinking, oh, this is going to be so uncomfortable. Thirdly, if they were interested, they'd come to me. Uh, probably not. Maybe. Sometimes God does work like that, where people are like, all of a sudden, they show up at the door, or they show up and they're like, hey, listen, I know you're a Christian, and I, but uh, isn't it interesting that Christ has commanded his followers to go? Like, as we are going to be taking the gospel, he didn't say, sit and wait until I bring you unbelievers. Do you know that before we know Christ, before his Holy Spirit is inside of us, before we have been regenerate, like, we don't even want God. We just want ourselves. And so, like, this is why we are commanded to uh, go into the culture and go into with this gospel message. And, and so let's not believe the myth that, like, oh, if, if my brother was interested, he'd come to me. He knows I'm a Christian. He'll, he'll come. If my coworkers, in, like, they'll come to me. Like, they know I'm a Christian. They'll, they'll come. Next, the time to witness is after I build a deep relationship. Now, hear me right. This gets at the whole, like, relational evangelism. Like, yes, it is so true. People often don't care about what you say until they know about how much you care. Totally, totally get that. I'm not anti, like, relationship building. I'm not saying just share the gospel and then move on and don't focus at all about showing them tangibly the love of Christ. But I think sometimes we can use that as a crutch. I'm not going to share Jesus with them until we have, like, this really deep friendship. You're like, how long have you been friends? 35 years. Still building it, man. Like, still, I think I need a couple more, like, Indians games to get them to, and then, like, we'll be ready to share the gospel. No. Share it. But what if they're not ready for it? That's not yours to cultivate. Plant seeds, plant seeds, plant seeds, water, water, water. The Lord gives the increase on that, right? That's his. And last one, I'm definitely not the person to tell that random stranger. What if the people in the Bible operated like that? Remember that one story in Acts where Philip is like teleported from one city and all of a sudden he's like, whoa, there's a random carriage. There's a random guy. Let me go tell him about Jesus. Like nowhere in the Bible do we see like people, oh, I would tell him about Jesus, but I don't, I don't know. Can you see Paul doing that? Can't you see Paul just walking up? Do you know Jesus? Okay, you're going to know him before this conversation's out. Boom, here we go. Now, I'm not saying be confrontational. I'm not saying be weird, okay? I'm just saying, like, when the Lord 
leads to an opportunity. Don't assume just because you don't know someone that God is not calling you to be the uh, vessel of the gospel into their heart. How sweet will it be in heaven one day when the random stranger you met at wherever comes up to you and says, do you remember, boom, sharing this with, like, that night, I bowed the knee to Jesus Christ right then and there. I am sent to preach the gospel so that people will hear and believe and call and be saved. Church, let's not just hear a sermon this week. Let's go live a sermon. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. Let me pray. Father, I do pray for us right now that we, we would not be merely hearers of your word, but doers. I pray right now you might even by your spirit be guiding people and putting names on hearts of those who uh, have been cultivating in their heart, hearing the gospel message and responding to it. I pray we'd be faithful to obey. Lord, I pray for the nerves that'll set in as some of our folks are getting ready to have gospel conversations this week. I pray you'd give peace in those times. Lord, um, um, I pray we would be faithful to the things you've called us to be faithful to, to plant and to water. But Lord, I pray we would trust you to give the increase because that's yours and yours alone. Lord, um, we can't not talk about the things that excite us. We talk about what excites us. We talk about what's changed our life. We talk about what we love. We talk about what's captivated us. Christ, if you have loved us so much to captivate us, to excite our hearts, to change our lives, why would we not talk about you, Lord? So God, Would you pour out your love into our hearts in such a way today that we walk out ready to be proclaimers of the good news. In Jesus' name, 